In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Now, hermetically sealed for freshness and your protection, it's us. He's Jack, I'm Kenyatta, and we are back to save the world. Hey there, Jack. Hey, we are definitely back. I hope everybody enjoyed our tribute for the 50th anniversary of the wonderful music genre of hip-hop slash rap. Mm -hmm. Indeed, and we had a ball doing it. I'm sure if you listen, you heard. So, yeah, it was... It was our humble tribute, so, you know, we had fun. It was good. It was good. So It definitely was. And if you haven't listened to those two episodes, you need to go back and do so. Immediately, after you listen to this one. So, Trey. listening friends, what you may not, what you, what you don't know, is that through the magic of time travel and well-developed schedules we were actually on a break for a few weeks and things have happened so with that being said we have a an array of things to pluck from to talk about our wtfs which i will turn over to jack to start his first all righty mine is uh involves a little bit of gop hypocrisy um i know that's probably shocking that that phrase was even uttered because it so rarely happens. Um, but in the state of Texas, you know, the state that has one of the strictest abortion bans in the country, where the Texas Attorney General Paxton has like a website about how he's an adamant defender of unborn life. Mm-hmm. And that all unborns have personhood and they need to be fought for, protect life page, all of this stuff. Um, and he just fights, 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 fights for it. And on March 7th, there was a press release about fighting for unborn. The same thing on March 8th. But strangely, on March 10th, there wasn't anything that they posted about it. And... That would be because on that day, he was in court arguing that babies do not afford the, that unborn babies, fetuses, as he was calling it, at seven months of pregnancy, do not afford the protection of the right to life. <gasps> what? Yeah. So here's, here's what happened um, in Abilene, Texas. The state prison guard was seven months preggers. She was having pain. She told her supervisor, I need to go to the emergency room. I am having pains related to my pregnancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Her supervisor said, no, you can't go. She kept saying, I need to go. And it was basically, now we just think you want to go home and chill. Mm-hmm. 
Finally, a couple hours later, they get a replacement for her and they let her go. She goes to the emergency room. And guess what had happened in those intervening two hours? Her she baby died. Baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To which she was told by the doctors, if you would have come here when you first started having pain, we could have saved the baby. So she is suing the state of Texas and the attorney general, Mr. I will fight for the unborn, argued in court that the baby, the fetus, as he kept calling it, which is funny because at seven months of pregnancy, it's not a fetus anymore, (laughs) you know, in terms of like the definitions, do not have a right to life and are not afforded the protections that he up until March 9th, said that all babies in the womb deserved. Uh-huh. And he doesn't even argue the fact that her supervisor should have let her go to the emergency room. His point is you can't pay her this money because there are no rights to the unborn. Right. That's my WTF. Hmm. Yeah, I heard about this story. And... For as much as I pay attention to social media comments, I feel like there should just be, you know, a whole new segment just for that. But what I found reoccurring in the comments was, why didn't she just leave? I wouldn't have stayed there if I went to labor. I would just left. They can they can up this job. Granted, I can I I I get why they're saying that. It it makes sense. If you aren't in a prison and have to wait for security protocols to be done before they even let you out, depending on where she was in the prison. But also, she may have needed that job. She didn't want to risk getting fired by leaving unauthorized. Right. Because uh, it's cold out in these streets and times is hard. And if you can keep a job, you'll keep a job. Okay. Okay. Yeah, leaving a uh, a prison is slightly when you work there mm-hmm. um, is slightly more difficult than say being a barista at Starbucks. Correct, because there has to be someone guarding at all times. Right, and maybe she felt some kind of obligation to the job, despite you know what a lot of people who were never in her situation hopefully will never be. We're saying she should should just F that job and left. Okay. Right. And I mean, let's be honest. You can have a pain and realize I need to go to the doctor, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are, would think that you're losing the baby either. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, people can be pregnant and miscarry a baby and have no signs whatsoever. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fact that, you know, she just, you just can't tell. But no. when you're dealing with somebody that is pregnant and they're telling you, I need to go. I mean, they have this thing of, I'm going to need a doctor's note. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I mean, but let's be honest, we're all adults here. And if somebody tells you, I need to go because I think I'm having an issue with the baby, mm-hmm. you probably should let him go. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. But like I said, just just sit up here and act like you're all of a sudden, you know, retconning the rules because you don't want to be held responsible for the death of this baby. Come on, go 
go fuck yourselves, Texas. That's all. Right. See, I would have handled that with, do you want someone to drive you to the hospital? Something like be a human being. Come on. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a horrible situation. And they're just, they're making such a marvelous mess out of it. Yeah. And I know that the case and everything is still going on. So I'm not, we'll have to look and see how it gets resolved. But anyway, that that's my WTF. It just sort of makes you scratch your head at the, I don't know, the inhumanity of some people. Basically, basically. And, and in that, in that uh, regard, I want to make sure that we send out thoughts to our fellow Americans over there in Hawaii. Yes. Uh, in these devastating wildfires and the aftermath as such, because it is crazy. Yeah. Down there. And they, I, uh, yeah. they have lost a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I'll be honest. I haven't really been able to watch mm-hmm. a whole lot of reports about it. I've just read mm-hmm. some headlines. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there are reasons for that, <laughs> but yeah, no, I feel just I, I see the headlines every time and it just sort of makes my heart sink. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So my WTF is about some people that I have absolutely no sympathy or regard for. Trump's lawyers are trying to push back the date of the January 6th trial, you know, the one that he got hit with all those indictments on a few weeks ago. Right. Try to push it back to April of 2026. Right. Because allegedly it'll take them that long to go through the mountains, quote, of evidence they have to go through. Right. And apparently... The lawyer that wrote the brief that they submitted to the judge included a graph that showed how 11.5 million pages of documents stacked atop one another will result in a, quote, tower of paper stretching nearly 5,000 feet into the sky. That, Mr. Singer pointed out, that's the lawyer's name, was, quote, taller than the Washington Monument, stacked on top of itself eight times with nearly a million pages to spare. I I feel like that if they have that many papers, I'm going to call that, say, um, what's that, that legal word, evidence? Yes. If they have that much, perhaps rather than file for a date that far out, maybe you should, I don't know, start talking about a plea agreement. Never. But that would imply he actually did something wrong. Well, that's true. And do you know, I sat here after the indictments came down. I sat here in, you know, both sets. I sat here with my pocket constitution and scrubbed it thoroughly. And I could not figure out why he was not charged with treason. Why did not that come up? Because... In the United States Code, treason can only occur during war, but he should have been charged with sedition. It's sedition and treason are the same thing. It's just one occurs when it's not war and one is during war. It's semantics. That's all it is. 
But he got charged with neither one. The sedition when I yes. I I think Jack Smith went with what he could get tried the fastest, the quickest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the easiest to get guilty charges on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um because I really just, you know. Speaking of headline. oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'll say I just read the headline, you know, when he yeah. he brought his his charges out. I read that headline multiple times and felt no diminishing return of joy. Every time I read it, I just, I got more and more gleeful. It was, it was a beautiful day. And right. then when Ms. Willis dropped hers, I mean, it was unicorns dancing on rainbows, farting sprinkles outside. It was. Yeah. 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 It was like that. But I'm and there could be more coming because Jack Smith might drop some indictments in New Jersey because some of his crimes took place at Bedminster in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And apparently the Michigan attorney general, the Wisconsin attorney general are both now thinking about doing RICO cases or something similar with the fake elector scheme in their States. <laughs> and to tell you how bad things are going, apparently even the Arizona Arizona attorney general is thinking about opening up a grand jury on this. So he might have like another four. He might have eight indictments. I so am baffled. He could, he could honestly, they need to just put him in the Guinness book of world records for most indictments by a former president. I mean, he's there now, but I mean, the first one was enough, but yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine the team of lawyers that got together and thought it would be a good idea to take this on. Yeah. Like ever. There comes a certain point where you got to know that trying to represent this guy is a losing effort and you just don't bother. You just, as people start calling, you just ignore the calls and just act like you're at perpetual lunch. Don't take his calls. Don't take these cases. You're not going to no. Yeah. And also make sure that you get paid up front. Also that, yeah. which is not likely. Well, I'll take it back. Since he's getting his legal fees paid through the RNC, I'm pretty sure. He still isn't paying them. He still hasn't paid Rudy. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, sure, sure. And they're going to be cellmates. Yeah. Because Rudy still hasn't flipped on them. Yeah. It's good. It's going to be a matter of time. And I thought about that the other day when uh, the Georgia indictments came, that there's so many co-conspirators in this. Is going to be just a matter of time before at least one or more of them flip on the rest. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. I watch a oh, YouTube channel <laughs> of a, a former 30 year retired federal prosecutor named Glenn Kirshner. And he actually thinks that of the, what is it? 30 indicted with them. He, he estimates that probably 10 or so of them are going to flip. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's something about being indicted that makes people change their mind on flipping. Yes. This, so, ain't the, this ain't the streets. Yeah. You can snitch. Save your ass. Snitch. <laughs> yeah. Get those stitches when you snitches. Wait, I what? mean, <laughs> this ain't that. Come the on. thing I find funny is um, in the documents cases in Florida, even though the judge is a corrupt crony of Trump, um, one of the things I find funny is, remember, he declassified all of that information. He thought about it. He declassified it. 
But why are they now wanting a skiff to be built at Mar-a-Lago for all of the sensitive inform classified information? It's not classified, right? So why would they need the file to have a skiff built at the taxpayer expense, nonetheless? Um, there, because didn't he declassify him? So weird that they think they should need one of those because he declassified him. Oh, maybe he didn't. Funny yeah, how that works he, out. He didn't. Imagine that. Donald Trump full of shit. I mean, the, the double and triple and quadruple speak is, is astounding. Like, yeah. if that if that motherfucker doesn't have anything else at this point, it's the audacity. He has it in spades. That is true. He's He's exactly what happens when you've gone your entire life with never having any serious consequences for anything you've done. Nope. Nope. That's it's gross to look at, but you know. We'll see how all the rest of this plays out. Yeah. We shall see. Yeah, he's he's probably the sad thing is there will still be people that will vote for him. Oh yeah. That the sad thing is is that he's still allowed to run. Right. I know. And he's know. still he's still allowed to have his his fat sausage fingers typing out messages on social media. Can we confiscate his electronics, please? Uh, exactly. Good God. What is this? Um, I think the, the Washington, D.C. on the January 6th, she may, um, when they go back, she might be uh, dropping the hammer on him. I hope so. Because this is ridiculous. Nobody else indicted for crimes like this. Would even be walking around. Much less be able to get a hold of a phone, right? And threaten people on social media. Yeah, when they say there's a two tier justice system, they're right because none of us would be treated like that at all. We still haven't seen his mugshots. Yeah, and he's supposed to be turning himself in what by next Friday. <laughs> yeah, which by the way, <laughs> this this is not my original thought, mm. but it cracked me up. Um, this person said. You know, everybody may think that all of this getting arrested and everything is what's going to set Donald Trump off. He goes, what's really going to set him off is when Georgia releases his mugshot and it has his real height and weight on it. Because, you know, he lies about that. Oh, yeah. Remember, he's six foot three and he weighs 229 pounds or 239 pounds. <clears throat> well, we know he's not six foot three because Obama is six foot three and he's shorter than Obama. He's, he's about shorter than his own, his youngest son. So, have you, um, have you seen that kid lately? Yeah. Oh, good God. Yeah. No, that kid's yeah. freakishly tall. He's tall. But <laughs> that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the thing he's going to be the most ticked off about is them releasing his actual height and weight. Yeah. Um. Somebody should, Um. I bet you can go on, go to Vegas and, you know, they have all of those like weird things you can vote on. For like the NBA finals, you know, who's going to get the most fouls and all of that junk. I guarantee you, you could probably go on there and there's probably a thing you could put money on his, on his real height and weight. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There's, there's, there's betting pools on practically everything in Vegas. Everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And they're, uh, they're right now. There's probably a, a betting pool on when he's going to turn himself in. Is he going to do it early or is he going to wait till the last minute? That was the that was the question at least last week. When when was he going to do it? I think he'll wait till the last minute, mm -hmm. so he can get all of his whining in about how 
everybody so mistreats him. All his whinging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the people that are, you know, just rigging everything. And he's all, they just don't want the guy that's going to beat Joe Biden. So they're doing everything they can to stop. And I'm like, you already lost to Joe Biden. I don't think he's afraid of you. Uh, you remember that show Wife Swap? Yeah. So they brought it back a couple of years ago. I didn't know that. I just it just so happens that there's this guy following Instagram. He's like social media famous or whatever. Um, someone in the comments said he was on an episode of this rebooted wife swap with his family. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ooh. So I go look it up. I was deeply, deeply disappointed that he and his family believe the earth is flat and that it sits on a series of pillars. And the moon landing never happened, even though mm-hmm. his father was an aerospace engineer. It worked on one of the Apollo capsules. Completely unrelated, but it just occurred to me when we talk about, you know, people likely to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yep, that's people for you. So that was a big old unfollow and a, a very deep sigh of disappointment. Well, you know, did you did you let him know that you were departing the friendship or did you just let it go? I am not an airport. I do not need to announce my departure. Need to announce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of WTFs, <laughs> you just reminded me of this by saying airport. When I was flying out to Colorado Springs during our break that we were off to visit my chillins, there was a gentleman that flew from Oklahoma City to Colorado Springs with me, and this man was an absolute legend. He had no carry-on whatsoever. He just had his phone and his charger. That was it. I've seen it. Rare instances, but I have seen it. What an absolute just legend. And he inspired me. So on the way back, I shoved everything into my suitcase, except my CPAP, because if my luggage got lost, I needed that. So that was my one carry-on. And I was like, I have this, my flight snacks that I purchased ahead of time so I didn't have to pay airport prices for snacks since they will let you take them through security now. And that was all I have. And you know what? It was incredibly liberating. I bet. I bet. I try to be as minimal as possible. I have a designated bag for carry-on, which is like really a size of a big a big over-the-shoulder bag. I try to limit. I have a book, a word search book, my phone, mm-hmm. tablet. In a charger and some gum, maybe. Yeah. So I might try that next time I go somewhere, though. See how minimal I can get and not go crazy. (laughs) It was liberating to just have that thing, not have to put anything in the overhead, just have my CPAP. But yeah, it was nice. It was nice. Impressive. And I would like to add, and as part of that WTF, I have yet to leave. Colorado Springs on a flight that leaves on time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but I planned on it and I had a nice, I, I built in a two and a half hour layover at Denver mm-hmm. just in case that happened. And then of course that plane was happened late too. Oh, oh, well, it's the luck but, of the Irish. I know. Oh, figure. But, you know, anyway, that's uh, I didn't mean to throw that in there, but if you're listening to this and you fly, you do not need to have a lot of carry-on stuff. It, it's freeing. They give you the one the one bag of luggage, so shove everything you can in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna see how 
I'm going to see how minimal I can get next time I go. I will report that. So. And also, first time in my life, I saw snow in August. I was at the top of Pikes Peak. That was for less than five minutes. But it snowed in August, and I've never experienced that. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Nature. All righty, then. That's 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 our stuff that's what we got yeah yeah so i guess we could probably move on to the meat of our uh our episode for the day yeah and i am going to start it off with the theme song um for this i think most of our generation will probably remember this theme song. So um, I hope everybody enjoys the next one minute and 30 seconds. Here it goes. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? My neighbor? I'm glad we're... There we go. I just I know he had many years to get it down, but he's got the whole thing like synchronized from coming in the door and hanging up his suit coat to getting his card again and putting on his shoes. It's down. Yeah. Perfectly synchronized. I love it. Yeah. Um, The cool thing about Mr. Rogers is all of his cardigans were made by his mother. I was just getting ready to say, like, where did he get his cardigans from? Yeah. Awesome. And considering that he was like 70, what did they say? Uh, 76, something like that when he passed away. Um, Some of those were probably quite old by that point, because I would assume that his mom probably wasn't still making cardigans for him at that point. I assume. Interesting. But but yeah, in case you guys haven't figured, we're talking about American icon, Fred Rogers. Of course, everybody knows Fred Rogers is Mr. Rogers. And before we start, I'm going to get this out of the way. There is the internet thing that goes around that the reason he wore the long shirt and the sweaters was because he had full arm sleeves with tats. That is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) He did not. He also did not serve in the military. 
And as a matter of fact, the National Archives has this little snippet about him that I am going to read real quick about his about his military. Rogers was registered for the draft in Greensburg, Pennsylvania in 1948. When he registered, Rogers was just 20 years old. He was classified as A1, meaning he was available for military service. However, his status was changed to unqualified for military service following an armed forces physical on October 12, 1950. His World War II draft card and selective service card roster, which lists him as number 122, can be found. Uh, the National Archives has an actual image of his uh, card. And it's it talks about, although he did not serve his country in the armed services, he served through his dedication to its children and their education and emotional growth. And it talks about how he was the head writer, composer, producer, and host of Mr. Rogers from 1968 to 2001. And on July 9th, 2002, President George W. Bush, and probably one of the best things that man ever did as president, he awarded Mr. Rogers the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his service to the nation and his contributions to children's education. Over his lifetime, he received 40 honorary degrees, four Emmy Awards, a Peabody, and a Peabody Award, and he was in, inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1999 and was recognized in two congressional resolutions in 2003. And um, he passed away on February 27th, 2003. And... Um, it just talks about that the resolution is called Resolution 111 that honored him for his legendary service to the improvement of the lives of children, his steadfast commitment to demonstrating the power of compassion, and his dedication to spreading kindness through example. Um, but I just felt that was uh, worth starting out with because I didn't want people to think that whole time. Are we going to discuss that? That's that thing. Nope, not true. But I feel <laughs> he served his, like they stated, he served his country in other ways, and probably equally as important. Yes, I should say so. Sort of a quick backstory. He was born on March 20th, 1928, and he grew up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He earned his bachelor's degree in music from Rollins College in 1951, and he began his television career at NBC in New York City. And then he returned to Pittsburgh in 1953, and I know this because earlier I watched um, his interview on David Letterman uh, in the early 1980s. And he talked about how one of the shows that he worked on while at NBC was in the very studio that David Letterman filmed the Tonight Show, or not Tonight Show, but, you know, his late show. That, yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, late night. And it was in the same studio, which was sort of interesting. Hmm. And hmm. Um, he also talked about how he had met, because uh, obviously it's the same building where Saturday Night Live was filmed. And it was during that time that Eddie Murphy, you know, did the Mr. Rogers spoof Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. And um, he met Eddie Murphy, showed him the picture that they took beforehand and, beforehand, and Dave asked him what he thought of his impersonation. And he said that he actually liked it because he thought that um, Eddie Murphy was doing it from the heart. And that there was like no malice or anything meant by it. And so that he actually appreciated uh, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm glad you brought it up because I sure was if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the bright spots uh, 
during Eddie's tenure was Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. My goodness. Yeah. And when he hosted, what was it last year? They even did a couple years came ago. Came back yeah. to it where he did it again. So we, what did we call that, boys and girls? Gentrification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you have to imagine, though, that if you're Eddie Murphy and you do a, you know, a play on an icon like that, that it probably makes you feel good that the person didn't like wasn't upset by it that they appreciated your your play on their you know on their things so i couldn't see mr rogers being upset at anybody for anything <laughs> really <laughs> yeah yeah even if he did go home and talk smack you know he went about to tell he went, he went about to tell to the whole world of course he had something nice to say i i right. it would be out of character for him to be like i i hated it like i could just see i hated that too. no that wasn't that wasn't him so. Yeah. But in that same interview, though, he did say that there was a thing, I think he said in Alabama or something, where a guy impersonated his voice and he would tell kids to do bad things. And he's like, I don't really appreciate him. <laughs> and so, like, wow, him and Brian Kilmeade are the only two people. I don't know if anybody's aware, but Brian Kilmeade on Fox and Friends in the Morning does not like Mr. Rogers because he made our children limpy. Anyway, moving on from that oh. thing. <laughs> I did, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that yeah. was all I could take today. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Um, it does talk on here, though, that um, I would assume the reason that he didn't uh, qualify for military services is because he had asthma. Mm. Okay. And asthma is a, uh, where it used to be a big no-no in the military. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, but it used to be a huge, a huge no-no. And. I would assume, especially then, it probably probably was. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he uh, worked at NBC, which is cool. And then he moved back to his hometown of Pittsburgh, and where he went to work and started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Began airing nationally in 1968 and ran for 895 episodes. Hmm. That is a lot of episodes. That's a lot of years. Sheesh. Yeah, um, the first season had 180 black and white episodes, and then each season after that was filmed in color and funded by PBS, the Sears Roebuck Foundation, and other charities. And by the time production ended in December of 2000, its average rating was uh, 0.0% 0.0%7 or 680,000 homes. Um, it was on 384 PBS stations, and its highest was 2.1% percentage or 1.8 million homes but i would have to i don't know i don't know of anybody that didn't grow up watching mr rogers so i'm going to call that number a lie and now not like not <laughs> fallacy <laughs> yes yeah um the thing that's interesting i'll have to uh remember to send you the link i'll have to go find this youtube video there's this guy that is a music professor or whatever and he goes in and talks about how um the guy that did all you know how there was Anything they did, there was piano music going on. Mm -hmm. um, the guy that was the music director was a jazz artist named Johnny Costa. And Mr. The, at the time, you know, the thought was make the music kind of, you know, childish, not big. And Mr. Rogers, of course, he had his degree in music, was like, no, you make your music as if you're making it for one of your jazz concerts. And he did because they both believed that the more intricate the music was, the more it would help stimulate the children's brains. And that was just one more avenue of stimulating children 
And of course, since then, studies have shown that the more complex the music structure is, the more it helps small children uh, later on in life with math. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll have to uh, go find that video so we can put it in the show notes. Okay. Or I'll put it in the show notes because I'm the one that will be making them. <laughs> but anyway, we will we will try to do that. It's, it's a very interesting video. It's like 25 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just sort of goes to Mr. Rogers always thought, yes, they're children, but you still need to treat them with kindness that all children can learn. All children are valuable. And um, uh, another example of that would be, you know, he always would go in after he put his shoes on and he would go and feed his fish. Mm-hmm. And um, early on in the show, he got a letter from a blind girl that was concerned that he was not feeding his fish. And she was afraid that his fish were going to pass away. And after he got that letter, every time he went to feed the fish, he would point out, you know, and verbalize. And now we're going to come and feed the fish so that the blind children would know that he was feeding the fish (laughs) and they wouldn't worry about his fish. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Which Hmm. is one of the most, you know, it's an amazing thing. Um, But another thing about Mr. Rogers that most people don't realize And this relates to our episode that we did on Sesame Street as well because of funding. In um, 1969, uh, Mr. Rogers testified before the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Communications, which was chaired by Democratic Senator John Pastore of Rhode Island. Uh, U.S. President LBJ had proposed a $20 million bill for the creation of PBS before he left office, but his successor... Richard Milhouse Nixon wanted to cut the funding to $10 million. And even though Mr. Rogers was not yet nationally known, he was chosen to testify because of his ability to make persuasive arguments and to connect emotionally with his audience. Uh, You can find this clip on um, YouTube. And the clip of Rogers' testimony, which was televised and has since been viewed by millions of people on the internet, helped secure the funding for PBS for many years afterward. According to King, Rogers' testimony was considered one of the most powerful pieces of testimony ever offered before Congress and one of the most powerful pieces of video presentation ever filmed. It brought Pastore to tears and also, according to King, has been studied by public relations experts and academics. Congressional Funding for PBS increased from $9 million to $22 million, so he got him a raise. And in 1970, Nixon appointed Rogers as the chair of the White House Conference on Children and Youth, hmm. okay. which is cool. Nixon, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, this is one of the most sort of important things about Mr. Rogers that um, kind of looking back seems small, but it's not. It's an absolute huge thing and it was a stand that he took that for the time i mean even now for certain people would be considered nuts um but i'm just gonna read this article um because it's pretty or parts of it and it talks about how in 1969 when black americans were still prevented from going to swimming pools alongside white people in an episode of mr rogers neighborhood he broke the color barrier but he did it in a unique but Mr. Rogers way. And he had an actor who portrayed Officer Clemens. He was a black actor. And when Mr. Rogers approached him, of course, he was the actor was a little iffy at first, but he's like, no. And they became friends. He was on, he played Officer Clemens. And the thing that he did was 
it was a hot day. That was sort of the thing of the what they were talking about. And Mr. Rogers said, well, would you like to put your feet in my swimming pool and we can cool our feet off and cool down? Which at the time, of course, <laughs> very controversial. And they did. But Ms. Officer Clemens said, well, I don't have a towel. Mr. Rogers said, well, we can share the towel. And so they did. And he sat and did the entire part of that show with both of their feet in the swimming pool. And then when they were done, Mr. Rogers gave him the towel so he could dry his feet off first. And then Mr. Rogers proceeded to dry his feet. And it was a, it was a big deal at the time. Unfortunately, it's still a big deal. Shit like that blows my mind. The Southern but affiliates was, started right. screaming. <laughs> oh, I'm sure this. they did. Ah! <laughs> I'm sure they did. But one of the things that's interesting is that, why can I not find the actor's name? Why did I not highlight it? Um, anyway, the actor that played Officer Clemens um, was actually, he's actually, well, I think he passed away, is gay. And so... Um, not only did he break a barrier in that regard with, you know, the man's color, but he also did it in terms of his sexuality. Did they say what did they say what year this this episode happened? Uh, yeah, it happened in 1969. I'm fairly sure that that actor was not open. Oh, I I doubt that he was. Doubly um, for double reasons. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really asking yeah. for it, so to speak. But it was um, it was a it was a big deal, yeah. Like for him to do that. And as a side note, if I may, yeah, I don't want to digress too far off the topic. But I find I've always found it the height of extraordinary selective ignorance to know that during during that stretch of time, you know, Black Americans were prohibited from using the same water fountains or swimming pools or sitting and eating at the same lunch counters or restaurants or what have you, because supposedly, quote, and hygiene issues. But Black women were hired as maids and housekeepers and cooked food and raised children of these same people. Um, what? I believe the term is called cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I know. Still, after all these years, it, it occurs to me every now and then that the absolute absurdity. I, I agree. Of, of the way they try to justify that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Mm, no, anyway. I, I completely agree. Well, there's actually kind of a second part to this. They recreated the scene in 1993. So he came on. Because he, he played that character on and off, you know, throughout uh, the year. And um, in 1993, he was going to step away from doing it. And um, so they've recreated the original scene in the waiting pool with one exception. When they were done as a sign of respect, friendship, and love, Mr. Rogers actually got the towel and he dried mm -hmm. Officer Clemens' feet, you know, sort of in a, at the same time also recreating, you know, that scene from the Bible where, where Jesus did that with the disciples. Right. But it showed, to, I don't know, to me, that's just, I wouldn't do that because feet are gross, but. Um, you just took away all the specialness of this. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but no, I it. get it though. I get, yeah, it's, it's a sign of respect, you know, acknowledging that this is my fellow human being and, and this is what it is. Right. I'm going to kiss my butt. Right. But when they <laughs> recreated it though, also uh, Officer Clemens sang um, Mr. Rogers' song, Many Ways to Say I Love You. And, um, but yeah, he took the towel and dried his feet himself. And uh, I'll have to go scroll and find the actor's name for whatever reason. I'm just, I'm not. But he later said, I am a black man and Fred washed my feet. And 
while that's sort of a short thing, it's definitely kind of a kind of a powerful thing that he said that. Because let's be honest, even in 1993, being being gay was not that was one more strike, <laughs> you know. And like I said, doubly so because it was a black man. But I won't go there. <laughs> yeah, and um, that just goes to show you, um, Mister Rogers liked people for who they were. He liked people. He didn't, you know, hold grudges. He didn't base his opinions on, you know, outward appearances or anything like that. He liked all people and everybody should, um, should start out from the position that Mr. Rogers started out with and the world would be a much better place. You would hope. And I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. We have to acknowledge there are some people who clearly were not loved as children. Because they would not be out here acting up in these streets like this. Yeah. The actor's name was actually Francis or Francois Clemens. So his actual last name was Clemens. Mm, Okay. Um, But yeah, that's uh, that just goes to show you that Mr. Rogers truly loved people. And that was the whole purpose of his show was to teach people to love people. Mm -hmm. And that children are important and that children need to learn. (laughs) <laughs> and that they're valuable and that all people are valuable. Yeah, I wish more people started regarding kids in, in, in that way. They yeah. are they are tiny humans. Okay. They yeah. are not they are not here to entertain us or to take care of us when we get old. They are tiny human beings and they will grow into their own people and stop acting like they are not useful until they become adults. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm gonna say this. This is gonna maybe take a few people off. I think Mr. Rogers was woke. <laughs> no he was just a human being that saw other human beings as human beings there i fixed it for you <laughs> did you know he was a vegetarian oh it's ruined my whole image of him is ruined yeah see that's what i'm saying he's all of these woke things <laughs> But I'm just saying he wasn't up there on the show <laughs> telling kids not to eat chicken. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, the other thing about Mr. Rogers is he had a rather famous fan, Coco the Gorilla. You know, the, the gorilla that knew sign language. Oh, okay. Yeah. And once again, you can go on YouTube and um, they had met a couple of times. And apparently when Mr. Rogers died, Coco was very sad by it because they told her and she was quite saddened by that huh that's interesting i would never think that they would have a concept of death in that regards but i guess so Hmm. interesting just on another side note not so serious this time i wonder if anybody went into that studio and mistakenly went in to their studio and was like oh dang i meant to go to late night sorry i wonder if that ever happened like people went in the wrong studios for some reason and just stood there for like five minutes like oh this this ain't this and then they got confused and left <laughs> even with yeah. signs on the doors and everything because you know people will do it but people yeah. will see, they'll see the sign on the door it says push and they'll pull so yeah the other thing is apparently he didn't watch tv <laughs> the irony <laughs> yeah and he was also colorblind so they uh talks about how the color of the set of the land to make believe he actually couldn't see what the actual colors were because that was part of his uh, colorblindness that wasn't in his, uh, I guess, field of vision or whatever. Oh, and maybe another reason why he um, became ineligible for the draft. 
Did they test for colorblindness? I guess they would have to. Yeah, that's probably that also is another disqualifier for military services, colorblindness. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then in a funny story, it doesn't give a date or anything like that. But Mr. Rogers was hopping on the New York subway and it was full of a bunch of children on their way to school. And I guess it was raining or whatever that day. And there was a big rainstorm. And Mr. Rogers got the entire uh, subway full of kids to start singing, Won't You Be My Neighbor as a choir together, (laughs) which is kind of cool. That's cute. And so, yeah, he was definitely somebody that um, I think if you inspire to be like Mr. Rogers would just somebody that it's okay to be like. I would think so. I would think so. You can't be mad at, at, a, at a man that practice in- inclusivity, inclusiveness, mm-hmm. however you want to put it very, very covertly. Like he did it right in people's faces, but yeah. he never, he, he never was verbally honest about it. He just was like, here, this is my friend or here, this is, and he'd be like, Oh, <gasps> You know, people clutching their chests or whatever, you know, bigots do. But you can't be mad at you can't be mad at a guy like that. Not at all. Yeah. 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 That's Mr. Rogers. I could actually go on and on about Mr. Rogers. I he's sort of one of my heroes. I know Mm -hmm. that I am nowhere near the level of Mr. Rogers. I don't even know if I'm in the same stadium. You know, it's not ballpark. I'm not even like in the same city that the ballpark that he's in is in. Now, now, now. Self-depreciation. No, no. You might be in the same sitting, maybe. Yeah, I would. Say but to so. be fair, I don't think most people are in the same ballpark that Mr. Rogers. Oh no, <laughs> I, no, so. I would definitely say most of us are not. The rest of us are just flawed, fallible, mere human beings. <laughs> you know, Carl Sagan's probably in that ballpark. Steve Irwin, you know. Steve Irwin, well, the I mean, animal he, guy. Yeah, because his goal was to teach kids and make kids learn, and he was pretty cool. No, that, you know, Carl Sagan, obviously his goal also was teach kids and all of that. Not to go off on a Carl Sagan thing, but there's a very interesting story of one Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh my gosh. You were in my head just then because that was the next person I thought of. Go ahead. (laughs) So most people don't know this about Neil deGrasse Tyson. Apparently he was an amazing high school wrestler and he had offers for college scholarships to wrestle. But he did not want to do that. He wanted to use his brain. And he had got a, he grew up in New York City, but he had got an offer at Cornell University in upstate New York, which is where Carl Sagan taught. And um, Carl Sagan was the person on staff that was going to show him around Cornell. So he takes the train up there. You know, he's a teenager. He goes up there. Carl Sagan shows him around. And when he drops him off at the subway or at the train, it, it's, it was snowing. And Carl gave him his phone number. He said, there's a chance because of the snow that the train is not going to go back to New York City. It's going to get canceled. If it does, I want you to first call your mother and tell her that you have a place to stay. And then call me and I will come and pick you up and you can stay at my house until you are able to go back home. The train got canceled because of the snow. Neil deGrasse Tyson called his mom and then he called Carl Sagan. And then he stayed there until he was able to safely go back home on the train. And then he went to Cornell. <laughs> well, there you go. Interesting. <laughs> but um, once again, that shows you the type of person Carl Sagan is. Because he That's certainly true. did not have to open his home up to a random high school kid. Because let's be honest, at the time, he was a random high school kid. I didn't even want to open my house up to the random high school kid that I raised sometimes. <laughs> right? <laughs> and y'all were related. 
Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes, it, it does but, take a certain it does take a certain type of person to. And it, it's a shame that there there aren't more like that out there. I think just I just I, it just feels to me like the world gets colder and shrinks just a little bit every day. Yeah. But then there are candles in the window, like Fred Rogers and others that show you the absolute best that humanity can be. Sure. Can I, before we wrap up, can I end this on a completely unrelated pop culture note? You sure can. So I'm late as often is with me on catching up on this Netflix show called the umbrella Academy, which is based on a graphic novel. Right. By the way, and the graphic novel is excellent because I've read like the first three bonds. Anyway, so I'm finally catching up on this show and they they do a lot of needle drops um, in each episode. And usually the songs are related somehow to that particular scene. And they play they have a, they have a habit of playing up tempo songs during fight scenes. So during one fight scene, they drop this song. And I promise you, when I heard it, the first thing I'm thinking of is this sounds like a, a black group, like out of. Detroit or Philly, like that 60 sound. So mm-hmm. immediately, like I do when I hear a good song on the show or a movie, I, you know, there's an app called Shazam. You tap the button, it listens, it tells you a song. So I look up the song. It's called I'm a Man. And it was performed by the Spencer Davis group, who was an all-white British group that hit their heyday somewhere between the 60s and the 70s. The lead singer of that song and the group was one guy named Steve Winwood. Ah, yeah. Bring me a higher love. love. Valerie, I was like, my whole mind was blown. It's it's like that that meme with the guy in his mind blowing. You see the star. Yeah, <laughs> I, I literally sat there for for many minutes, like Steve Winwood, and he sang that song. I'm a man. He sang that song at like 18, 19 years old. When you get a chance, go look that up and listen to that song, and tell me if he his voice does not knock you out at like 18 years old. Okay, I will. That was wild. Listening, friends, if you know the song I'm talking about, you know what I mean. If you haven't, go look it up. That's what I got. And with that, go look it up. <laughs> we we got You guys got a lot of homework. There's a lot of homework that you have to do um, with this episode, but you'll, you'll be thankful that you looked everything up that we told you to look up. Indeed. Indeed. You will be. So. Yeah. So with that, my friends, if you would love to support us in in things that we do, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods, and we would be very appreciative of that. Um, If you could leave us a thumbs up, a like, whatever, on whatever platform you're listening to, that also helps us in the algorithms. And with that, I am going to say bye. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>